0: I don't know how to fully communicate how excited I am to be here this morning. I have been looking forward to this day. It is an absolute joy for me. City of Light is three years older than you are. Um, We were also sent out uh, by Church of the Resurrection, so we share Ascending Church. And I remember our first fall like it was uh, much more recent than three years ago, and I remember the first time we had a guest preacher come, and so it's just, it's a joy to be with you. We also meet in a gym at 10 a.m., and so right now, two and a half hours uh, southeast of here, City of Lights meeting and worshiping, and we often think and pray for you um, as we worship, and we're doing that this morning, too. So what a joy to be here together, and to do it in the season of Advent is really fun, too. Um, This is your first time walking through Advent as a church and maybe it's your first time personally or for your household going through the church year, the church calendar, uh, boy, you are in for a treat. You are in for just a practice that if you lean into it and, and dig into it will year after year after year transform your life and lead you more and more closely to Jesus. So we get to, we get to start that journey in Advent this year and walking us through The journey this year of the life of Jesus through the church year is the writer Luke for the Gospel of Luke. That'll be our our Gospel passage for the next uh, year. And so, what I want to do today is just walk us through the first chapter of Luke. We read part of it, but I actually want to do the entire first chapter. So, if you have your Bible here, um, go ahead and open that up, or if you have the bulletin, you'll have part of it. And I thought, wow, the first chapter of Luke is 80 verses. That's super long. Like, that seems like way too much. Why would I be doing that? And I thought, that sounds like something Scott would do. <laughs> he would totally pick a long chapter and just do the whole chapter. So maybe that's, maybe that's why. Um, but I want to talk through this. Um, and as we look at chapter 1 of Luke and get us started um, here in this third week of Advent, I want to ask a question. What is it that you're waiting for in your life? Is there something that you're waiting to do, some opportunity that's coming up on the horizon or that you're working toward, something that you want to be, some area of your life that you're looking to grow in? Is there something in your community or in your household that you're waiting for, that you dream about, that you want to see here at the end of the year? What about our, in our country or in our communities? What are you waiting for? Advent's a time of waiting. It's a time of waiting. It always reminds me of that old... Um, Jerry Seinfeld uh, joke where he says he hates going to the doctor's office because he has to go to the waiting room, and because it's called the waiting room, there's no chance of not waiting. It's called the waiting room. They've got it. It's all set up. You're going to have to wait. That's how I feel about Advent. We get to Advent, and Advent's all about waiting for the Lord, and there's no chance of not waiting in Advent because our lives are a lot about waiting. And for us as followers of Jesus, or if you're exploring what it means to follow Jesus, we believe that Jesus has come. He, he came the first time, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas, and so we're looking forward to that. But we believe he's coming again. And when he came the first time, he began his work of healing and restoration and and redemption. And when he comes again, he will complete it. But here we are in the middle of the two comings of Jesus. And in the middle, we wait. And Advent reminds us that waiting is part of what it means to follow Jesus. And so Luke gives us two women, two mothers, to teach us how to wait. I get to Advent every year. And there are parts in my life where I thought that they'd be better by now. I thought that that struggle would have lessened a little bit by now. I thought that I'd be a little bit more healed by now. I thought that that thing in our culture that's got such a stronghold, I thought maybe we'd make a little bit more progress by now. And we get to Advent, we remember. We're still in the middle. We're not where we might have wanted to be We're in Advent. There's no chance of not waiting. And so Luke wants to teach us how to wait. For Luke, and you you can watch this as we walk through the Gospel of Luke this year, whenever there's an important moment in the life of Jesus, whenever Jesus needs to be believed and received, Luke brings to the center of the story women of faith. We see it here at his birth, and we'll talk about that today. We see it throughout his ministry at key points, Mary and Martha and the other Mary and his mother Mary. We see it at his uh, crucifixion when it's only his um, disciples who are women who stay with him at the foot of the cross along with John. And we see it at his resurrection when it's the women at the tomb who are the first witnesses to that. Luke puts uh, women of faith here to teach us what it means to wait, to teach us what it means to give birth, to hope. That's why we care so deeply as a movement of churches here in the Midwest about mothers in the church prophesying and preaching and teaching and leading and pastoring and, as we'll see today, songwriting, because we have something to learn. So what do we learn from Elizabeth and Mary today? Here's the idea. The waiting for the Lord births hope into the world. Waiting in faith brings the very presence of Jesus into us, the very presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. That when we wait in faith, when we wait in hope for what God is going to do, that hope spills out to those who are around us. And that waiting is a challenge, that waiting is difficult. There's trial and suffering in the waiting, but it's worth it because at the end of the waiting for Jesus, he keeps his promise and he brings life into the world. So let's look. uh, This story has, uh, we'll we'll divide it up into three movements, three chapters, and the first one is the promise. And the promise comes first to a man named Zechariah, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Zechariah is a priest, and so he serves in his community as a spiritual leader. We see this start at uh, verse 5 in Luke chapter 1, a priest named Zechariah. And uh, a few times a year he'd go down to Jerusalem and he'd do a turn, kind of a rotation there serving in the temple at Jerusalem for a few weeks. And they had like a barracks, a a bunk room there for all the priests and they'd uh, cast lots and get randomly assigned different assignments throughout the day and throughout the night there at the temple. And his assignment is to go in to uh, this room in the temple where only you, you go one person at a time and you light a candle on an altar, and you pray on behalf of the people of Israel. And so he goes into the room, and he lights the candle, and then he realizes that he's not alone. There's an angel there with him, and it's not like a chubby cherub. This angel is terrifying. Whenever you see an angel in the Bible, the first thing they have to say is, okay, now don't freak out. Verse 13, the angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer's been heard. Read along with me. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, you shall call his name John. You'll have joy and gladness. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord. He'll go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Gabriel is giving a promise. He's giving a prophecy And and he's using a lot of words that are full of meaning. It's it's kind of coded language. There's a backstory here. Every once in a while, my wife, Bonnie, is like, hey, let's go see that new superheroes movie. And I didn't really grow up reading comics, and so I don't have a lot of context for it. And inevitably, at some point in the movie, the characters will say something and do something, and everyone else in the theater will react like, oh, whoa. And they'll be like, what happened? It's like, I don't know the backstory. I don't know why that was significant. I don't know what nerd theory just got proved right because of that. I don't know. Um, and my wife doesn't either. She just likes the explosions and the jokes. But, um, so we go and see well, there's a backstory here. And what, what Gabriel's doing is he's quoting the prophet Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. It's the last sentence of the Old Testament. If we turn there, we can read a little bit of it just a few pages before, Malachi 4 is talking about the great day of the Lord. He talks about a sun that will rise, not an S-O-N, an S-U-N, a sun that rises, so there's a new dawn, a new day, a new morning, and he says the, the, the sunlight, the rays, the wings of the sun will bring healing to everybody. And it will turn the hearts of the fathers to the hearts of the children and the hearts of the children to the hearts of the fathers. But before that Messiah, that anointed one, comes, someone will come who will go before in the spirit of Elijah. So Gabriel's saying, remember that promise from Malachi? And Zechariah would. He's the priest. He's offering the prayers. That's going to come true. And it's going to come true through you and your wife. And Zechariah goes, I don't know about that. He doubts it. And why does he doubt it? Does he say... God, that was 400 years ago. Where have you been in the meantime? No, what does he say? He says, Elizabeth and I are too old to have kids. If you've ever struggled to conceive, if someone close to you has, you know the pain that comes from not being able to. You know the, the deep grief that's involved in that process. And they went through that year after year, the disappointment month after month when it didn't happen. And I imagine that they prayed for that over and over again. And then at some point, it was just too hard to pray and they were out of prayers. The angel Gabriel says, your prayer has been answered. And I thought at first, oh, their prayer for a child. But I don't think that's the prayer that Zechariah was praying. I think he was praying the prayer That would have been his priestly liturgical prayer. He would light the candle and say, O God of Israel, remember your people. Do not forsake us. Deliver us. Send your anointed one. And Gabriel says, I'm going to answer that prayer, but I'm going to do it by answering the prayer that maybe you've stopped praying because it hurts too much. The prayer of your heart that is hopeless. I'm going to answer the nation's prayer by answering the prayer that you are too hurt to pray. Zechariah doesn't believe, and so the angel tells him, this is, this is an amazing line, in verse, verse 19, he said, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. In other words, Zechariah says, are you sure that's how it's gonna happen? And, and Gabriel says, I was literally just in heaven talking to God about this. Like, this is how it's gonna happen. And until it does happen, because you didn't believe, you're gonna not be able to speak. And so Zechariah comes out of the temple, And there's the crowd um, who are all praying with him, but in in the different room. And, And they're like, what took you so long? Those prayers are so short. You've been in there forever. What happened? And he's like. So they're like, well, something happened. He finishes his rotation. He goes home a few days or weeks later. And I wish I could have seen him get home to Elizabeth and have her go, how was temple? And he's like. This must be the best game of Bible charades ever. (laughs) Imagine him trying to to pantomime the angel and the incense and then her getting pregnant, like how does that? But somehow he's able to communicate it. He's like, go grab a scroll, Um, we'll write it all down. And she believes immediately, immediately she believes. She receives that promise from the Lord. Do you know what the, the name Elizabeth means? It means God's promise. She'd been waiting for it. She believed it. She received it. Do you know what Zechariah's name means? It means God remembers. He didn't believe his name yet. but There's still hope for him. If you were Luke, if you were a first century history writer and you wanted to give your account credibility, you would start Um, with a witness who is a respectable leader in the community. You'd start with someone like Zechariah and say, this person believed. Instead, Luke starts with Zechariah, this person who doesn't believe, and then he shifts immediately to Mary because Gabriel gives a promise to her too. And where the old, respected male priest doesn't believe, the young, unknown peasant girl does. You will have a child And she's like, I don't know how this will happen, but God may it be done unto me as you have said. And Mary believes and receives. The contrast to the lack of faith of Zechariah, to Zechariah's hopelessness, is Mary full of hope. Chapter 1 is the promise. Chapter 2 is Mary's visit to Elizabeth. And this is the waiting before we understand why Mary and Elizabeth are so excited to see each other, we have to read verse 25, 24, and 25. Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, the Lord has done this for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Imagine five, the five first months of pregnancy being completely alone, after spending a life, uh, her entire life being shamed for not being able to bear children. In that culture, all of the blame was put on the woman for that. And we know scientifically now that that's not the case. There can be um, a whole host of reasons that you would not be able to conceive, some the woman's body, some the man's body, some other things. Um, So we know medically that it's not the woman's fault, but we still come up with ways to shame women about childbearing in our culture, don't we? Um, from whether you can can have children or you can't or you want to or you choose not to or how you have the child and how you raise the child. And we have plenty of ways that we heap shame on women. And one of the most beautiful promises about the Messiah that God gives is he gives in multiple places. Isaiah 4 says that when Jesus comes, he'll take away the shame of the daughters of Jerusalem. He'll take away the shame that has been coming against women since the Garden of Eden. We read in in Zephaniah uh, today the beautiful picture of the daughters of Zion rejoicing because God has come. Because God is always close to those who are vulnerable. His heart is always with them. He sees them and he knows them. And so he tells Gabriel to tell Mary Your cousin is in the sixth month of her pregnancy. God sees Elizabeth and knows her life of shame, but he sees Mary too. That Mary, who would become pregnant without being married, would be subject to so much shame in her culture, and even um, her life could be in danger, depending on what Joseph does, And so God puts them together so that they could care for one another. No one else in the world would understand these miracle pregnancies except the two of them. Who else could understand or believe what had happened to Mary except Elizabeth and the other way around? And so God gives them to each other because he loves them and he knows them. Gabriel says, your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant And Mary immediately goes to her. And when she arrives, and this is what we read, in verse 39, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps. Now she's six months along. This could very well be the first time she's felt the baby move. And if you, as a woman, have have carried a child and your woman have felt that, you know the delight and the surprise. If you haven't, but someone has said here, and taken your hand and said, feel this, and you felt it, you know some of the delight and the surprise. And so Mary comes into the house and the baby leaps and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she is told by the Holy Spirit that Mary is with child as well and she immediately believes, and she's been writing a song. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord has fulfilled his promise. It's the song of her name, the promise, God's promise, and she's been writing it for herself, but now it works for Mary, too, and they're just full of joy. Remember Gabriel said that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from in his mother's womb. Here is a six-month infant in the womb filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and able to recognize the presence of Jesus. I love in our churches when someone comes forward who is pregnant to receive communion, we pray a blessing for the child in the womb. Because that child can be filled and can know Jesus. I always make sure I know for sure that the woman is pregnant. Wouldn't that be terrible? When the church fathers read this passage, they said, that's like Jeremiah. That's like Jeremiah when he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you came forth into the womb, I sanctified you. It's the same language that Gabriel uses. And so for three months, Mary is there with Elizabeth. Mary in her first trimester, the first three months of her pregnancy. Elizabeth in her third trimester, the last three months of her pregnancy. Elizabeth's already an older woman. I'm sure she had back aches before she was pregnant. Now she's trying to do all of the household things while being pregnant, while being advanced in years. Zechariah's words, not mine. And there's Mary to help her and to be with her. And Mary, in the first trimester, morning sickness, all of the changes happening to her body, probably very fearful of just like what is unknown. And there is Elizabeth to be there with her and tell her that that doesn't last the whole time, hopefully. And yeah, that happened to me too. Had Mary told Joseph yet? I don't think so. I think she went right to Elizabeth's house. And could it be that it was the encouragement of knowing Elizabeth was there for her that allowed her to face going to Joseph and having that horrible conversation that she knew would hurt him and could be dangerous for her. Seeing Elizabeth's miracle pregnancy must have given Mary such hope. Before John could lead the way for Jesus, Elizabeth leads the way for Mary. And the whole time, there is Zechariah as Mary and Elizabeth go about the day go about their work watch their children in their wombs grow there's Zechariah listening watching unable to speak maybe that's better for Elizabeth I don't know taking it all in chapter 1 the promise chapter 2 the waiting the pregnancy chapter 3 the fulfillment the birth In verse 57, John is born. And right before that, it said Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and returned home. I think the implication is probably that Mary stayed through the birth and maybe even through going to the temple for John to be named and circumcised. It would be pretty likely that she would take part in all of that. And so imagine Mary there at the birth of John the Baptist. Helping Elizabeth and thinking about six months later when she would be giving birth in Bethlehem with Joseph's family. I imagine when Mary gets the news that John the Baptist has been imprisoned and then beheaded, that John's parents are probably gone by then, but Mary remembers holding him right after he was born. They go to the temple. And Elizabeth, uh, the the baby's circumcised and they do the sacrifices and the the ritual surrounding that. And then they ask her, what's the name? And Elizabeth says, his name is John. And everyone's like, John, there's no John in your family. That's not how we name babies around here. And Zechariah grabs a a scroll to write on and says, no, his name is John. And in that moment, Zechariah, without a voice, shows obedience. He receives the promise he's filled with hope again because he can see it with his eyes and his voice is given back to him. And the one who in doubt was silent now in faith speaks out praise and he has a song. And the first phrase of that song is in 68 and it talks about God who remembers his holy covenant. That's his name. He believes his name now. And then in verse uh, 76, he talks about the light of God shining all the way through to 78. He starts quoting Malachi, that the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. He believes now. What a grace that even though when he first doubted, now he's invited into the promise. When did his faith start to grow? When did that change start to happen? When did that repentance start to make room in his own soul for the presence of Jesus and for hope to come and fill it? I wonder if the first step was actually being with Elizabeth in marital intimacy to conceive John. See, for Mary, for her to be obedient to, the, uh, to Angel Gabriel's promise, she, as a single celibate, had to remain in her celibacy. That's how she obeyed, and God worked a miracle pregnancy. But for John and Elizabeth, in marriage, for them to obey, they had to actually act and be a part of it to conceive this child. Was that the first moment that Zechariah started to believe? Or was it when Mary and Elizabeth were there And he learned that there was another miracle, and he could see the baby growing, and he could hear them writing their songs, working on them together in the evenings. He was taught to hope by these two women of hope. He's taught what it means to wait for the promise, even when that waiting is hard. He was taught that it's worth it, because God always fulfills his promises, Doesn't our life follow this pattern too? The promise, the dream, the hope, then the waiting, the confusion, the challenges and the suffering, waiting for the birthing of new life. What's that thing you're waiting for in your life, that promise or that dream, who you will be, what you will do, what your household will be like, what your community will be like, in the waiting, there can be pain and doubt and fear. There might have to be. Bonnie and I are, have had a season like that this year where we were trying to get into a house in the city of Aurora where we've, we've been renting, but that rental option fell through and we moved into my father-in-law's basement in April and were there for May and, and June <laughs> In July, and we moved into a home that needed a lot of work. And so for August and September, we didn't have a bathroom. And for September and October, we didn't have a kitchen. And we were waiting. We've had other periods of waiting in our life that have been painful. But when you wait on the Lord, He will renew your strength. When you wait on the Lord, you won't be put to shame. When you wait on the Lord, when you put your hope in the Lord, you won't be disappointed. Because waiting on the Lord, when we wait on other promises, when we hope in other things, they may or may not happen. But when we wait and we hope on the Lord, it will be fulfilled. His promise will be kept. He kept the promise of Jesus coming the first time. Over 300 Old Testament promises. We read several of them today. He kept every one of them. He kept his promise. He keeps his promise. Jesus will come again. And when we wait with hope, the hope of the promise of Jesus being um, birthed in our lives brings hope to everyone around us. The Apostle Paul says all creation is awaiting its redemption, groaning like a mother giving birth. And he says we too, each of us, groan, each of us are in labor, waiting for our redemption in our bodies. I wonder if Paul was thinking about Elizabeth and Mary when he wrote that. We groan in the pains of childbirth here in the middle, in the in-between between Jesus' two comings. The early church had this name for Mary. They called her Theotokos. Theo means God. Tokos means birther or bearer, or bringer. God used her to bring the presence of Jesus, God himself, into our world. And each of us are called to be bringers, birthers, bearers of the presence of Jesus into our world. That as we wait for him in hope, he comes to us and he fills us. That's why the church is talked about as a mother, a mother like Mary and like Elizabeth, who is filled with the hope of Jesus so that those around can come in and see the hope of Jesus and not be disappointed. This is your calling, Christ Church. This is why you are here. You are here to bring the presence of Jesus along with churches throughout this city to the people of Madison who wait and whose hearts have grown old with hopelessness. I remember sitting on a couch with Scott and Marissa as they were praying about whether God would call them to plant a church. I remember the first time they mentioned Madison, Wisconsin. I remember as so many of you began to come around and now are here in this process, and there's been a new birth that has happened here. You've seen the fulfillment of a promise of God saying, I want to bring a church into this neighborhood, and now look for 10 weeks. Here you are. There's a leaping of joy in the womb. There's a a sign of the kingdom of God. It's It's been birthed. There's new life, and it's come because there's been hope, because we've hoped in the promise of the Lord, because you've had faith that he who began a good work would be completing it. That's why this is here, and maybe you come here. Maybe this is your first Sunday or your second or your fifth, and you're like, there's a new birth happening in me, that the hope of Jesus is coming into my heart and it's making things that were dead and things I I didn't want to hope or dream could ever be better come alive again. It's the presence of Jesus being birthed in his church. That's what's happening. That's what we're here for, to bear the presence of Jesus. You are all Christ bearers. in your household, around your table, and in this household, around this table. And because this church is here, the hope of Jesus is being born here. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this story of your hope for the faith of Elizabeth the faith of Mary. Would you bless this church, Christ Church Madison, with a gift of hope that the presence of Jesus would dwell in them richly and that many who are hopeless and vulnerable would be drawn into the hope that Jesus, you have come and that you're coming again. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray.